0: War Talk radio today is James Delgado, director of the Vancouver Maritime Museum and marine archaeologist. We'll be back with Dr. Delgado when we put him in the Civil War time machine on Civil War Talk Radio.
2: programming tools.
1: Websites powered by Avalar feature capabilities that attract more customers and enhance relationships with existing customers.
2: Avalar offers a multitude of leading-edge solutions, including lead generation and referral tracking, shopping carts and payment processing, membership management, and search engine optimization, to name a few.
1: Take advantage of the full power of the Internet using Avalar technology at www.avalar.com. That's A-V-A-L-A-R.com com. Vitality is a natural expression of health, success, and fulfillment, and yet it's rare to meet people bubbling with vitality. That's because most of us push ourselves too hard, and when we trigger the internal alarms that tell us to change our diets, attitudes, or activities, we ignore them, allowing outside pressures to override our internal alarms undermines our health, sabotages our success, and limits our potential. If you're ready to reclaim your natural vitality to begin living a life you love, visit TheVitalYou.com. You're listening to
0: World Talk Radio, where the world comes to talk.
1: To speak with our show hosts or guests during the live show, call us toll-free in North America, 888-514-2100. Everywhere else, call 001-858-268-3068. Welcome
0: back to Civil War Talk Radio talking with James Delgado today about civil war submarines. We've been talking about the uh, a little bit about the Hunley, the famous Confederate submarine, and quite a lot about the Explorer uh, designed by Julius Kroll, built uh, in the late war years after the war, taken down to Panama and used there uh, for, for non-warlike purposes, and eventually abandoned. And left uh, in a cove where it sits visible at low tide today, not not really uh, something that needed to be discovered so much as something that needed to be identified and brought back to public consciousness. And we've been talking uh, about that that fascinating wreck. Jim, let me ask you in in the context of submarines, you mentioned briefly the u s Navy's first commissioned submarine, the alligator, and I wonder if you could a little bit about that, uh, what you know about that
2: uh, interesting craft. Well, alligator is an is a entirely different creature. Like Honley, more of a torpedo-shaped craft, uh, originally propelled by oars that passed through the hull through water fittings that were watertight to be propelled. And then later, of course, they adapted that with a propeller. Alligator, oh, this it's long, just, narrow I have craft...
0: To I have to ask about oars, because if you're underwater, uh, isn't the return stroke of the oar going to cancel out the forward motion of the... As best we can tell, it was
2: almost like it would. It looks the best reconstruction is that it 's almost like a small little paddle that one would crank and that you would crank, it would go, you'd drift, and then crank again. Um, almost we 'd say oars, but imagine, if you will, most probably a series of spinning little blades that were hand cranked like a, a single bladed uh, paddle wheel okay. uh, on each side. Ingenious, but not always the best thing, and that's why they ultimately went to a propeller. Under the command of Thomas Oliver Selfridge, who uh, later would go on to lose the first U.S. Navy craft to an undersea mine, the the U.S.'s Cairo. Um, Selfridge has an interesting career when it comes to the the technology, both as the deliverer and as the recipient of some of these new technologies. Um, Alligator was deployed on the James. She was lost at sea, much like the Monitor, under tow, and has never been found, though there is a rather large effort underway now working um, variety partners including the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration to find Alligator but as of yet she remains an elusive target there are only five pre-1870 submarines left in the world that we actually know about that we can touch there's the post-war intelligent whale in New Jersey there's Julius Kroll's explorer there's a Civil War Confederate craft in New Orleans there's Hunley, and then in Germany there's the 1858 Brandttoika, developed by Wilhelm Bauer, Germany's father of the submarine.
0: So these, uh, just to say with the alligator for a moment, the, I, I when we were planning this uh, discussion today, I thought I'd better learn something about this. I'm not totally ignorant, and I gather the, the alligator's only armament was uh, to release a diver to to plant limpet mines on the on its target vessel. That's
2: right. Alligator was a shallow water uh, lockout dive chamber. It had a chamber in the back that they could open up and use as a lockout for a diver. So everybody's thinking in that stage that they can either deploy a diver or ultimately, um, in the case of Hunley, a spar mounted torpedo. Uh, But they have not yet developed the type of uh, weapons. That will come in the 1870s with a pneumatic dynamite gun, which John Holland develops with the Fenian Ram, and then ultimately pneumatically launched torpedoes, uh, which are only a result of the development of the automobile torpedo developed by Whitehead and others. Also, a late 1860s, early 1870s innovation. And that will, of course, change naval warfare dramatically. Well, yeah. indeed, and let's not forget that Hunley is the first submarine to sink another vessel in combat. It won't be until 1914 that that happens again. And that brings up a
0: point that, that you, you read in, in a sort of basic history textbook. They'll mention the, the dramatic uh, technological changes of the Civil War, the use of the first machine guns, the first use of barbed wire, the first use of uh, submarine, first use of aerial reconnaissance. And frequently, it seems to me, you can make a counter-argument that these are all novelty items that yes there's a balloon in the peninsula campaign yes the Hunley sinks the ship and itself at the same time yes there are primitive machine guns but they don't show up in any major battlefield all these technological devices are absolutely in their infancy and while they do receive a, a spur towards their development during the
2: Civil War they're not really they, they, they play no role in the outcome of the war well while they don't play a role in the outcome of the war and some might call them a novelty, they really are harbingers of the future. They are the first effective field test of these technologies, and they lead to refinements and further developments. As much as the Monitor was a dead end in naval development, I mean, this shallow draft, cheese box on a raft, was able to slug it out with CSS Virginia, but then foundered not too long afterwards because she wasn't too seaworthy, and while they did pursue building those craft during the war, you know, they were... Essentially, an evolutionary dead end. Although, did the British use monitors up through the Second World War? They used what we would call monitors—still shallow draft, turreted craft—but they're coming up with, they're, they're coming up with innovations and changes. More to the point, I mean, they keep that evolutionary dead end does inspire other turreted craft with greater freeboard, and that ultimately leads to the dreadnought and into the modern battleships, which culminate in the Iowa class of the Second World War. Or say the, the Japanese Yamato or Musashi, those 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 craft really do owe something to that Civil War novelty, if you will, or shall we say um, prototype or test uh, and monitor. And likewise, I think we can say with both Ex and Hunley, uh, you have modern submersibles and submarines that are an outcome of that. Likewise, the machine gun. Likewise, telegraphed aerial reconnaissance and the rest. So it, it's
0: there is something,
2: uh, certainly not just
0: for their contemporary effect, but more for their, their legacy. Their lasting effect, yes. Galaxies. Now, one thing I like to do with uh, guests on the show frequently is ask uh, a question related to what we were talking about earlier, the, the effect of almost time travel, when you can be in the presence of these historical objects like the Explorer or the Hunley, or as you were describing very eloquently, Lincoln's. Uh, clothing uh, from the night of his assassination. Nothing does bring the past to to a, a real sense of proximity like the historical object. What if you could literally go back in time for an hour, let's say, to the era of the Civil War, uh, what people, what person would you most be interested
2: in talking to? Well, you know, it wouldn't be any great, I mean, as much as the temptation would be to sit there for a while with grant or robert e lee or to sit in on a a lincoln cabinet meeting i think i'd much rather want to be strolling the trenches at antietam i'd want to be talking to somebody at gettysburg somebody actually there in the midst of it in the thick of it with their individual perspective um i can always come back to the future in this an imaginary scenario and get the historian's overview I'd be more interested in the human experience and just how it felt and not just to talk to that person but to actually crouch there with mini balls whistling over the head in the cold and the damp and uh, and be there with somebody where it's for real not a reenactment now that would be uh, uh, if, as long as you have the guarantee you can
0: come back in an hour and, and none of the mini balls are going to, to strike home I think that would be a, a fascinating Indeed. experience uh, was it, uh, I think it might have been Churchill, uh, said there's nothing more in, or, Rose, or Roosevelt, Theodore Roosevelt, the invigorating experience of having someone, uh, shoot at you. That's, you, it's, know, you know,
2: yes, it's Roosevelt, it's nothing more invigorating than being shot at and missed.
0: Yes, that, uh, yeah. Uh, so, so that would be not, that That would certainly be an interesting, uh, way to spend one's time. You mentioned, uh, uh doing it for real as opposed to reenactment, and I, remarked on being at a reenactment recently. There's an overlap in Civil War studies between those who look for the real things and those who collect things they find on battlefields and those who reenact. Uh, There there are a lot of different ways people can try to approach the past. One of the problems with that, though, comes when, when those approaches come into conflict. And I'm thinking particularly... With underwater archaeology, uh, the problem of security of, of, of people uh, people pillaging underwater sites, does that come up with Civil War sites that you're
2: familiar with? It comes up with Civil War sites all the time. It was a threat that was announced with Hanley, where supposedly some unscrupulous collectors were going to pay a large amount for a piece of her. We saw it you know, closer to East Carolina, out in the... Uh, in the river with uh, the wrecks of USS Cumberland and CSS Florida where wrecks, those wrecks, after being discovered, were were looted and artifacts were offered for sale. And the the National Park Service, from time to time, has had to stop uh, metal detectors and others from going through the national parks. It's one thing to take things from an archaeological site and from a national park, which is absolutely the wrong thing to do. Yet another thing, though, to buy things in an antique store that have been passed on through families. As much of those things as possible should go into a museum. But let's say you find a great Civil War daguerreotype, or a uniform part, or a weapon, a sword, something for sale that has come out of a family attic. Um, if it gives somebody a connection and a chance to touch the past, that's great. I do firmly believe in reenactment, and I understand the human need to own a piece of the past. and that can be anywhere from an antique to something of, of greater antiquity. Um, wherever possible, I love to see things in museums. But I don't think it's wrong for somebody to, uh, to have a Civil War canteen or a Dragoon pistol or something of the sort that they found in an antique store that didn't come out of the ground or, or that wasn't taken from a museum.
0: No, And that really is the, the, the key, is, is having some idea of the provenance of what it is you're getting. and and making sure
2: that it's not something that was illegally or illegitimately taken away. Right, something of that sort. And wherever possible, I mean, I think there are some things that are very important that should go into the public domain. If you had a particularly significant artifact that was found, say this was the sword of Catesby Jones, commander of the Virginia, um, that's the type of thing I think people would... Respond to in a museum far more so than having it in an individual collector's home. That's absolutely right. If you can
0: get, uh, and, and most collectors want their collections to be known, and, and often will eventually, if not uh, during their lifetimes, make arrangements for that to happen. Yes.
2: Now we were but talking... there's Lots of antiques out there, and uh, not every museum in the United States can take them all. No. Collectors do perform a valuable service, just as long as they don't collect things out of battlefields or from. Archaeological sites. Early on,
0: we were talking about uh, Book Street. You mentioned uh, Mark Reagan's work, I believe. Yeah, Mark
2: Reagan's book on Civil War submarines, I think, is the best What's the name um, of that source book? on the subject. What's the title of the book? I believe it is. Uh, sub... <laughs> yeah, I, thought you were gonna... I was afraid you were going to ask that. <laughs> I believe it is Civil War submarines. Okay, well, Mark Reagan is the name we'll, we'll want to look up. So R-A-G-A-N, R-A-G-A-N,
0: yes. R-A-G-A-N. What, uh, when you're reading about the Civil War, what, uh, who
2: are your f- authors? You or, or what books do you recall that really made an impression? Well, some of my favorite books, of course, being the naval ones, are the books that have been written about the various encounters. Uh, Bill Still from East Carolina did a wonderful book um, on Civil War naval construction and craft. Um, Laragi's book on the Civil War um, naval history. Um, are amongst those, of course, I do love reading my mentor Ed Barr's works, particularly his accounts of the Battle of Vicksburg, and uh, one would be remiss if they didn't pick up Shelby Foot or some of the others. Yes, we had Ed on a few weeks ago. I had the, the absolute pleasure
0: of talking with him, and he is uh, as remarkable as ever in his Absolutely. Absolute re- recollection of every detail. Yeah, and he indeed. pioneered the, the,
2: the recovery of the USS Cairo, the great uh, gunboat. Indeed. Yes, and his book, Hard Luck Ironclad, on the story of the K. owner recovery, is a classic. So are you writing anything yourself these days? I've just uh, completed a a book uh, that came out last year that talks about some of the various wrecks the sea hunters have looked at, which includes a bit on Explorer. And uh, down the line, I will be doing a book on Explorer herself. Well, that is something we will definitely want to look forward to, and I'm sure all... Listeners of Civil
0: War Talk Radio uh, now join me in being enlightened about the Explorer, and we'll look for that book when it comes out. Jim, it's been a great pleasure talking to you. I know you are busy, and I really appreciate you taking the time to uh, get this into your schedule today. No problem. Thank you for having me, Jerry. And thank all of you for listening. This has been Civil War Talk Radio.